0: This student ministry podcast is a sermon preached by Pastor Jim Shetler at the 2008 West Coast Baptist Teen Camp. Pastor Shetler is the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California, and we hope this message is a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. I've been in the ministry for over 25 years, and I've had the great privilege to do 100 ninety six weddings. I've done 196 weddings in my ministry. I've never known a pastor that done, that's done more. Now, the ministry I was at was a college ministry, so I got a lot. I'm sure there's pastors that have done more than 200 weddings. I just have never met them. I've done 196 weddings in my 25 years. and I stand here to tell you something. Out of those 196 weddings, there have only been Four divorces. Now I want to tell you, in this day and age, the average is 50%. In Christian circles, it's 50%. And among independent fundamental Baptists, it's almost 40%. Let me tell you, young person, that means that I should have at least 50 to 75 divorces out of the 196 people couples that I've married I've only had four divorces, and I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you that. I'm ashamed to tell you there were four out of the 196. You say, Pastor Shella, what did you do that did? I'm going to show you today. I would never marry a couple unless four things were present in that couple. And I believe because I never married a couple that these four things weren't present. It's made the difference Why 192 of those weddings and marriages are still strong. Now, it all starts, first of all, with the right kind of dating. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do now for the next 15 minutes. Hopefully shorter than that. I'm going to go over with you something that I used to give many times. It's called the Seven Steps to perfect dating. I'm gonna go through them really quick. They're all catchy statements. Not a one of them did I come with up on my own. Every one of these I've heard from other preachers or other times, but I never heard them all together, except for in our seven steps of perfect dating. I can tell you hundreds of young people that committed to these seven steps of perfect dating that say today, the reason why I married the right person is because I committed to the seven steps of perfect dating. Let me give them to you really quickly today. Uh, I can spend three days just on these. I'm going to give them to you in about 12 minutes. So here we go. Step number one, it is better to wait and know it than to date and blow it. It is better to wait and know it than to date and blow it. Young person, you need to learn how to be choosy. It's better to wait and know it than to date and blow it. Put next to that Psalm 62 verse 5. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. I'm waiting on the Lord. It's better to wait and know it, young person, than to date and blow it. Some young people get involved in dating relationships. They're ready physically, but they are not ready spiritually or emotionally. It is far better to wait and know it than to date and blow it. Be very choosy about who you come into a committed relationship with. And that's, who we're, well, that's what we're talking about when I'm talking about dating here. I understand that there can be casual friendships with the opposite sex. I understand that there can be companionships. But I'm talking about committed relationships when I talk about the dating relationships here. A relationship that if you dated somebody else, they would be hurt. The other individual would be hurt. There's some kind of commitment of time, of togetherness that you've made. It is far better to wait and know it than to date and blow it. Let's all say that together. Number one, it's what? Not bad. Number two, number two step to perfect dating, And it is hard for me to go through these without not giving you a lot more. But anyways, step number two, do not look for the right one. Be the right one and you will get the right one. Don't look for the right one. Be the right one and you'll get the right one. You don't have to look for your spouse. You know that? All you have to do is be the right one. Don't look for the right one. Be the right one and you'll get the right one. Young person, it is not that hard to come out with the right spouse. All you have to do is be the right one, and you'll get the right one. Don't look for the right one. Be the right one, and you'll get the right one. I'll never forget, years ago, I was doing a series with senior high girls in a senior high girls Sunday school class, and I asked them to do a project for the next week. I asked them to write down all the things that they wanted to see in the young man that they wanted to marry. Well, the following week, they did that, and one girl came. Her name was Rochelle. Rochelle came with five notebook pages, front and back, and there were 76 things, I kept them, I didn't bring them to camp today, but I kept them, these are 20 years ago, I got this, there are 76 things that she said she wanted to see in her husband, Five pages front and back. I went through those things. They were unbelievable. I went through them. I looked at her and I said, Rochelle, this is impossible. I'm already married. Well, anyways. But, anyways, I, I said, Rochelle, listen this. This is great. I looked at Rochelle and I said, Rochelle, this is classic. I looked at Rochelle. And I said, Rochelle, I, I said, are any of these things in your life? She looked at me quick as a whip. Well, no, Pastor Sheller, that's why I want to see him in the guy I'm going to marry. Now let me tell you something it doesn't work that way. You don't look for the right one, you be the right one and you'll get the right one. Young person, birds of a feather flock together. If you're not living for the Lord, you're not going to get a guy who's living for the Lord. If you're not do if you're not pure, you're not going to get a girl who's pure. Let me tell you, you don't have to look, you don't have to you don't have to look for the right one. You just have to be the right one and God'll give you the right one. Number 3, step number 3. Oh, this is good. How you get them is how you keep them. How you get them is how you keep them. Young lady, if you gotta get him by putting on four inches of makeup on your face, he better never see you without makeup. You know what, if you gotta get her by being the star basketball player, you better never sprain your ankle. You know what, how you get them is how you keep them. By the way, if that's true, if how you get them is how you keep them, then let me ask you, what's the most important thing for you to do? Be yourself, amen. Be yourself, because then that's all you have to do to keep it. All if, if How you get them is how you keep them. But I will tell you, if you've got to do something or be a phony or be a fake, I wish I had more time to... By the way, I have verses for each one of these. Step number two, don't look for the right one, be the right one, and you'll get to find the right one. That was Psalm 8411. We quoted that earlier. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. How you get them is how you keep them. Genesis 24, 15 through 20. Genesis 24, 15 through 20, and verse 27. This is how um, the servant got a bride for Isaac. She, she was doing the right thing and she was a servant. How you get them is how you keep them. Now, I'll tell you what I like to do under this one. If you've been getting them the wrong way, you need to break off that relationship. <laughs> are you ready for this? You are never. Well, I'll, I'll wait on that one. How you get them is how you must keep them. Step number four. Step number four. We'll see them all together at the end. Step number four. Dating should be a delight, not a duty. Dating should be a delight, not a duty. Now, I'm going to tell you, today we're going to talk about, the whole message today is going to be on the permanency of marriage. So I absolutely believe in that. One thing that happens in a dating relationship, a lot of people say, oh, well, if I break up with this person, isn't that showing me that I'll probably break my marriage up later on? Not at all, young person. I dated five girls in college, five different girls in a probably what you would consider a committed relationship. But I'll tell you what, on August 16, 1980, when I made my vows to God and Mary Lee, that was it. You, there is, listen, dating ought to be a delight and not a duty. And if you're in a relationship that there's possession and there's possessiveness and there's envy and there's arguing and you say, oh man, I don't really enjoy this relationship, get out of it. Man, dating ought to be a delight and not a duty. And if you're in a relationship that's bringing guilt, that's possessive, that's arguing, that's envy, get out of that relationship. Let me quickly, there's no way you're going to write all these down, but let me quickly go through how to break off a bad relationship. Number one, do it quickly. It will get harder every day, do it quickly. Number two, get to the point. Don't try to slip it into a conversation. We've gotta break up, we've gotta go different directions. It's not good for me, it's not good for you. Do it quickly, get to the point. Number three, be positive. This is the best thing for both of us. It, I have learned some things, it's been good, but we've got to do this, be positive. Number four, be firm. Do not let that person talk you out of it. Don't don't put any, on the next one is be final. Do not make conditions or agreements to get back together. Do it quickly, get to the point, be positive, be firm, be final, be prepared. They are not gonna take rejection well. Be prepared, you got to stick with it. I know this relationship's gotta end. Uh, Be tactful, the time and the place should be appropriate that you break off the relationship not over the telephone or a text message or something like that. Don't waste the lesson. Don't waste the lesson. Remember the good and the bad and learn from it. Let me go through those again. If you're in a bad relationship, do it quickly. Get to the point. Be positive. Be firm. Be final. Be prepared. Be tactful. Don't waste the lesson. Dating should be a delight, not a duty. Young person, if you're in a relationship that is no longer a delight, get out of it. Step number five. Step number five. What they are now they always will be. Whoa. What they are now they always will be. I had three boys. All three of those boys' temperaments were developed by age. Anyone want to take a guess? Two. You could tell the temperament of my boys by age 2. I guarantee you by age 16, what they are now, they always will be. Pastor Scheller! Pastor Scheller! What about Galatians? Or what not Galatians, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Yes, I know that this young man has a really bad temper. And I know that he gets angry at his parents a lot. But Pastor Shatler, God could change him. Well, you know, that is true. God could change him. God might change him. But I want to tell you this. The basic temperament of that individual, if they're not punctual, if they're impetuous, if they're really excessive shy or excessively extroverted, and that bothers you and that threatens you that they're friendly to everybody... I'm going to tell you something. What they are now, they always will be. And may I just say this young person, what you're seeing in a dating relationship is the little tip to the iceberg. Whatever you're seeing in a dating relationship is the tip of the iceberg. So you, if you're struggling with the tip of the iceberg, man, wait till you marry that rest of that iceberg. What they are now, they always will be. And young person, if you're struggling right now in a relationship with a young man or a young lady, and you just say, you know, I don't think our personalities (coughs) are compatible. (coughs) Excuse me. I think I just swallowed some. (coughs) It doesn't get better after marriage. Number six. Number six. Every date is a possible what? Made. Every date's a possible mate. therefore, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. <clears throat> be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Here's what I believe on this. Every date's a possible mate. Somewhere along the line, the person you marry is going to be the person you dated. So you better make sure you date someone not only that's saved, but that's acting like they're saved. Because every date's a possible mate. Number seven, and we'll be done. Number seven, with the seven steps of perfect dating. Now this is the hardest one to write out, and it's the most important step of the all seven. Here you go. You Ready? Postpone all possibilities if parents are not perfectly pleased. Postpone all possibilities if parents are not perfectly pleased. Now, we're going to talk about this in just a moment, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this right now. But, young person, if you're in any relationship that has developed into a committed relationship and your parents have cautions, you postpone all possibilities if parents are not perfectly pleased. Now, 196 weddings, only four divorces. How can that be, Pastor Shetler? I mean, I don't, I've never even heard anything like that in today's day and age. There should be 75, 80, 80 couples at least that have gotten divorces by now out of those that you marry. How have you done it? I'll tell you how I did it. I never married a couple unless all four of these things were present. Number one. The young man and the young lady both had to give a personal testimony of their salvation in Jesus Christ. I would never marry a couple unless both of them gave a clear testimony of their salvation in Christ. You know, the Bible says that we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loves the church, men. But if you don't have Christ, how in the world can you love your wife as Christ loves the church if you don't even have Christ? The Bible says that you're supposed to submit to your husbands. How can you submit to hu- your husbands if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, who is the greatest illustration of submission that there's ever been? The fact of the matter is there is no marriage that's going to make it if they both don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But I will tell you this. Both knowing the Lord as your Savior does not guarantee a successful marriage. Amen? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of marriages that both of them were saved, and they didn't have a good marriage. That's why you need the other three as well. I call them the four pillars, like on a, on a table, the four legs of a table. I think you've got to have all four, le- four legs to make it work. Number one is they both have to be saved. Number two, this is really important. I've never married a couple that both of them had not surrendered their wills to the Lord Jesus Christ. That they had to complete. Now, there's a difference between salvation and surrender. And I will not marry a couple if both of them have not given their wills over to the Lord. And there have been some that have come for premarital counseling that wanted me to do their wedding. And one or both of them have said, no, I've never surrendered to the Lord. You know what? I won't marry them. And I'm going to tell you why. I never ask a couple, do you believe this is God's will for your life? Do you believe she's God's will for your life? I never ask that question. I'll tell you the question I ask. Have you ever surrendered your will to the Lord? Because if you've surrendered your will to the Lord, and the other person has surrendered their will to the Lord, then the person you're marrying must be God's will. Or otherwise, what kind of God do we have? Once you surrender your life to the Lord, and you say, whatever, whoever, whenever, whatever, why, ever, Lord, it is yours. My life is yours. Now, there's one thing about being a living sacrifice. You tend to crawl off the altar. In my life, I surrendered my life to the Lord as a freshman in college. But I have had to go back to that altar many times and say, God, I surrender this or I surrender that to the Lord. I had to surrender my, my courtship with Mary Lee over to the Lord. And I said, Lord, if I never marry Mary Lee, I, I love her. I want her to be my wife. But God, I want your will more than I want to marry Mary Lee. And I can remember the day, I can remember the place. I remember exactly when I surrendered Mary Lee over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? God took her away from me for a while, only to bring her back to me, and our relationship was better than it's ever been. Young person, I want to tell you this: I will not marry a couple unless they surrendered their lives to the Lord. You know what? There's a lot of things that can happen in marriage. If you haven't surrendered your will to the Lord, then you don 't know if you're marrying God 's will because you 're fighting against Him. So you get married, you 're in your marriage for two years, and your wife gets pregnant. Only to lose the baby in a miscarriage two months later. And you begin to think, oh God, I knew it. I knew you're doing this as judgment, God. I knew it. I shouldn't have married her. And now we had a miscarriage. And oh, we may never be able to have kids. And Lord, you're judging me, aren't you? Because I fought. You don't want to ever go through that. You don't want to ever go through that. So you surrender your will to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you say, God, if she's not the one, if he's not the one, Lord, I want your will more than I want this individual. Young person, I have never married a couple that didn't tell me that they both knew Christ as their Savior and they were both surrendered to the Lord. Now, number three is the one I want to spend some time on. I've never married a couple that believed divorce was a possibility at all. Every couple I ever marry must tell me that they are absolutely committed to the permanency of their marriage. The permanency of their marriage. Take your Bibles now and turn to Matthew 19. And I want everybody to see this. I want to go ahead and spend about 10 minutes on this because I think this will be very, very helpful to all of you. Matthew chapter 19. When we come to the divorce issue, this is the passage of Scripture that is used more than any other passage to say that you can get a divorce. Now, I want to tell you, I come from a broken home. My mom and dad got a divorce when I was 14 years of age. It was a very bad marriage. It was a very abusive marriage. I can still picture my dad beating my mom. I will tell you this, when my mother told me that, my, that, that her and dad were separating, I'm just gonna be honest with you, I didn't feel bad about that at all. I just couldn't stand my mom and dad fighting the way that they fought. When I heard that my mom and dad were getting a divorce, I actually, I don't think I was happy, but I was actually relieved. My mom and dad had a terrible marriage, and I came from a broken home. But what I'm about to tell you right now, I come to, have come to believe. In Christian circles today, and definitely in the world, you will never hear what you're going to hear right now. People go to Matthew 19, and they say, well, wait a second. In cases of fornication, it, there's an exception clause, isn't there? Isn't there sometimes divorce is a possibility? No way, Jose. The Bible gives no opportunity for divorce in any situation, no matter how it is. If you say, hey, wait a second here. What are we talking about a physical abusive thing? Then the person who's physically abusing this other spouse needs to be arrested and going to jail. That's exactly what needs to happen. I'm not saying they ought to be living together. I I absolutely believe if someone's being abusive to their spouse, they need to be arrested. And we have a court system that takes care of that. But I am going to tell you this. There are no grounds for divorce in the Bible. And the only passage... That anyone ever goes to to show that there is divorce is Matthew 19 and this is the passage I want to show you that God Jesus Christ totally handled the problem this passage is also mentioned in Mark and Luke but it's interesting in the gospel of Mark and Luke the exception clause is not mentioned everything in this story is mentioned in Mark and Luke except for the exception clause I think there's a reason why it's in Matthew I'll tell you in just a minute Um, here's what happens the Pharisees also came onto Jesus, onto him, verse 3, tempting him. This is so important for you to understand. When they came, they came to try to trap Jesus, and they thought they had a good one. They said, You know what? This is how we can get him. Let's do the divorce thing. We will ask him the divorce question if divorce is possible in any situation. Because this is whatever answer he gives, we got him. Now, if you remember correctly, in the life of Christ, many times, The Pharisees asked Jesus questions to trap him. Jesus did not want to answer many of those questions. So many times he answered a question with a question if he didn't want to answer it. Because it wasn't his time to reveal himself. So sometimes they would ask him a question and he says, well, let me ask you a question. John the Baptist, was he from God or was he from man? Oh, man, we can't answer that question because if we answer that question, that shows, well, we don't know. Well, then I'm not going to tell you the answer to your question then. You know, so sometimes he did that. Here he does not because this is a no-brainer. He is not struggling with an answer to this question. Notice what they did, verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? In other words, for anything. Is there any possibility at all for divorce? (laughs) We got him. This is going to be great. Because we can pull out the old Deuteronomy 24 Moses passage if he goes one way. And we can pull out the Genesis chapter 2 passage if he goes the other way. We've got Jesus on this one. Is there any way? Well, if they had Jesus, Jesus would have dodged the question and answered it with another question. This is a no-brainer. Jesus answers the question. The question is, is there any possibility for divorce? And Jesus answers it. And he answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? I want to stop here. I got to put a little parentheses in. We talked about homosexuality today. I want to tell you what I believe. I believe the greatest reason that homosexuality is an abomination towards God, it destroys the picture of Jesus Christ with the bride, his church. Now, you probably never heard that before. Most people aren't saying that. I really believe this is why it is such an abomination. You don't have the church married to the church. You don't have Jesus married to Jesus. You have Jesus as the bridegroom married to the bride, the church. When you put homosexuality in that, you either have two churches together, the church and the church, or Jesus and Jesus. And I believe the greatest abomination of homosexuality, it destroys the picture of our salvation. It destroys, but that's another message. But anyways, I want you to see, notice what he does say here. That from the beginning, he made them male and female and said, listen to this, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Now you listen to verse 6. Question. Is divorce possible at all? Rabbi? Rabboni? Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth. Is it possible that divorce could be in any situation? Here's your answer. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore? God. Hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Question Is divorce possible in any situation? Answer What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. In other words, no way is divorce possible in any situation. <laughs> we got him. So he answered question one. Question one. Is divorce possible in any situation? Answer, no way. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. Well, now I think they got him. Verse 7. They say unto him, Well, why? Question number two. Question number two. Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and put, away her, uh, put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Yeah, the only reason why he did it is because they were marrying one, they would go marry somebody else, they would come back to the first wife who had already remarried, and he said because of the hardness of their hearts, because of their wickedness, he allowed that to happen, to have some semblance, some organization, some uh, sanctity of marriage in the society. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife Except it be for... Everybody, say the next word. Except it be for... Your Bible doesn't say adultery? What does your Bible say? Read it again. Except for what? Fornication. Well, wait a second. I thought fornication was before marriage. It is. Do you notice that the Greek word there is not the Greek word for adultery, that you would be in a married relationship and someone was unfaithful. It is the Greek word poroneia. We get pornography from that word, poroneia. It means, in the Greek, anything illicitly sexual outside of the bonds of marriage. It can mean from looking at pornography to homosexuality. Now, I think this is extremely interesting. That Christ does not use the word adultery. He uses the word fornication, which isn't even in marriage. Now we go back to why Mark and Luke did not put this in. Mark and Luke were written to the Gentiles. Matthew was written to the Jews. The Jews had a custom. That you would marry a young lady and there was a betrothal period of time. That you would go back to your father's house and build an apartment onto your father's house. Sometimes between 9 and 13 months. And while you were gone, the bride that you had purchased and made a covenant with would have to wear a, a veil over her face, signifying that she was in a betrothal time. If any time during that betrothal time she was unfaithful, then he was able to put her away. Thus the story, Mary and Joseph. It was during the betrothal time that Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. So he thought the best thing to do would be put her away quietly and not make a big scene, only to get a vision from an angel that said she is conceived of the Holy Spirit. It's okay to marry her. It was only with the Jews, but I want to go a step further than that. I want to tell you, this thing, fornication, is interesting. In other words, I believe, what happens? Hey, by the way, what happens if they legalize gay marriage? And what happens if a man marries another man and then gets saved? Gets out of that relationship? Hey, hey, can they remarry? Here's what I believe. I believe in God's sight, they never were married to begin with. It would have been fornication. So, the very fact of the matter is, this word fornication is extremely important to understand, young person. I do not believe that he is giving an exception for a man and a woman getting married and that one of them being unfaithful to the other, and now there's an exception they could, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. Adultery is not even mentioned here, the word fornication is mentioned here. Young person, there are no grounds for divorce at all. You say, you know, Brother Sheller, I know you're all stirred up, but you've got to admit, Pastor Sheller, this is kind of your view of this. Okay, okay, let's look at the view of the disciples with this. Now, the disciples are sitting here watching the whole thing. I mean, here they, the Pharisees come, they ask this question, and the disciples are going, Whoa, this is going to be a tough one for Jesus. Ooh, boy, that's a... so. They're watching and listening to the whole thing. Listen to the response of the disciples. Verse ten: His disciples say unto him, "Not the Pharisees now." His disciples say unto him, "Lord, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it's not good to marry." The disciples are standing over there and they're watching this whole thing, and they're going. This is unbelievable. Jesus has just said, there is no exception at all. Wow. Well, if there are no exceptions at all, then maybe it would be best that we don't get married at all. Oh, Jesus says, no, that's not the case at all. But do you see the response of the, if you say, you know, brother Shuttler, I know you're all really fired up and everything, but you know, this is just your interpretation of this. Well, it's also the disciples interpretation because they're sitting there going, wow, man, we didn't know he believed this about divorce. He says divorce is not possible at all. Then it would be better that we don't marry at all. Oh no, that's not what I'm teaching. Jesus continues on. He says, no, but I will tell you, there are no exceptions to divorce. Young person, I've done 196 weddings. I will not marry a couple unless they both know Christ, unless they both have surrendered their wills to the Lord, and unless both of them tell me, when we say to God and to my spouse, I do, I will, till death do us part, I believe that the permanency of marriage is the only way that there is no possibility of divorce. Now, Brother Shelley, do you have any idea who you're speaking to? Well, I won't do this at all. But there's a good chance that 30 to 50% of you would stand up to say you're from broken homes. And I would be standing as well. Because I do come from a broken home. But young person, I'm going to tell you this. I made a decision before I ever married Mary Lee that I would never get a divorce no matter what. And I'll tell you what, there have been times in our marriage, especially early in our married life, that boy, we really locked horns. And had I not made that commitment, out of that commitment has come our companionship. In other words, I knew that was the only person I was ever gonna, until death do us part. You know what, young person, I wanna tell you this today. I think every one of you need to make a commitment to the sanctity of marriage that if God would ever have you get married, you would make a holy vow to God and you would say, dear God, if I ever get married, I will never leave that covenant relationship. And you know what? 16 years of age is a good time to make it. No, shouldn't I make that? No, no, no. You shouldn't make it four years into marriage when you're in the middle of everything. This is the time to make that covenant with God and say, God, you hold me to that covenant that I will never, if I ever get married, I may not get married, but if I ever get married, I will be married till death do us part. I've never married a couple that weren't both saved, both surrendered, and both believed in the permanence of marriage. And number four, they both had their parents' blessing. A lot of times people ask me, Will you do interracial marriages, Pastor Shetler? Now, you both, everyone, hear me really clear on this. Will you do interracial marriages, Pastor Shetler? Can I tell you this? I believe there is only one race of people on this earth. I believe it's the human race. And I believe I can scientifically prove that we all come from the same DNA and from the same parents. There are not four races of people on this planet. There is only one race of people on this planet, and it's the human race, and when, the sooner we learn that, the better off we'll, uh, we'll be. When someone comes to me and they say, will you do interracial marriage? First of all, I say, there's only one race of people. But secondly, I say this, I will marry any couple that both know Christ is their Savior. Both have surrendered their wills to Christ. Both believe in the permanency of marriage. And both of them have their parents' blessing. They have their parents' blessing. They believe in the permanency of marriage. They've surrendered their wills to God, and they know Jesus Christ is their Savior. I'll marry any couple that have both of those things, that have all four of those things together. This thing about interracial, that doesn't, there's nothing scriptural behind that whatsoever. There's only one race of people that the Bible talks about. Well, what about Noah's sons? What about them? Obviously, we're not dealing with three races of people there, are we? Obviously, we're dealing with three brothers. And from those three brothers, every nation has come. But the sooner we learn that we're all one people, the better off we will be in our Christianity. And I think Christianity takes the highest view. I think Christianity is the view that teaches that we are all one by Adam and Eve, by Noah, and now if we're saved, by Jesus Christ. And the color of our skin does not matter at all. And where we were born does not matter. I will tell you, I will marry any couple that both know Christ as their Savior. Both have surrendered their lives to the Lord. Both believe in the permanency of marriage. And both of them have got their parents' blessing. But I'll tell you, I will not marry a couple if one parent, and I don't care if the parent's saved or lost, If one parent does not give their blessing on that marriage, I will not marry them. I've done 196 weddings, young people, only four divorces, and I'm ashamed of the four divorces. But that is unheard of. I have never heard of a better percentile, and I believe it's because this is the pillar. Now, I want to tell you a story, and I am done. One day in college, my senior year, I was dating Mary Lee. and We were walking across campus, And she was extremely quiet. We had been dating for about four months. And I really believed she was the one. And we were walking across campus. And I said, Marilee, what's wrong? And she wouldn't say anything. I said, Lee, something's wrong. What's wrong? And she, you know, I could just tell. She was just on the verge of tears. I said, Marilee. And we got close to the residence hall, the dorm. And she says, Jim, I think we got to break up. And I said, why? And boy, she didn't want to tell me. She said, you know, Jim, my family background, she's a missionary kid, five siblings, you know, big missionary family, all love the Lord and the whole nine yards. She says, Jim, my family is so different than yours. Yeah. She says, Jim, I love you but I just don't think I can marry somebody that's come from a broken home. I just feel like you may get a divorce with me someday. Well, I looked at Lee and I told Marilee these words. I said, honey, let me tell you something. I can remember as an eight year old boy curling up in a fetal position in my bedroom, just crying that my mom and dad would stop fighting. And I said, you know what? I do come from a broken home, but because I come from a broken home, it has put more of a desire in my heart to be a husband that will be faithful to my vows. I said, you know, Marilee, I don't know what the future holds for us, but I'm going to tell you this. The girl that I marry, I will never leave until the death do us part because I do come from a broken home. And young person, if you come from a broken home, man, that doesn't mean, I love my mom and dad. I led my dad to the Lord. I love my parents, but I got to tell you what, They did wrong when they got a divorce. It's not biblically right. And young person, you can be the next generation that says, it's not gonna happen with me. You know what I would love? I would love that one day, maybe 10 years from now, you'd be driving in the southern part of California and you would take your spouse up to a camp and say, hey honey, and you got two kids in the backseat and you say, honey, come here, I wanna show you something where are we going? We gotta get over to Phoenix. We got another a second. I got, we're gonna take a little detour for a couple hours. And you drive up that driveway, and you come back to this camp, and you take your spouse and your two little kids, and you come back into this meeting room, and you go up on that platform, or you go over here and say, Honey, come here, I wanna show you something. Right here, June 18th, 2008, I made a commitment, and I said, Lord, I don't know who I'm going to marry, but if you ever have me marry someone, I will never leave those vows till death do us part. It was right here on this piece of concrete that I made that commitment that I would never leave my spouse. And honey, we've had some tough times, but I got to tell you, we've made it through. And I sure thank God on June 18, 2008, I made a decision in this room that I would never leave the vows that I made to God and to you. Till death do his part. Young people, we need a next generation that has a sanctity of marriage because marriage is being destroyed today. And young person, I just want to tell you, you got to make a decision. And you say, but, but, but Pastor shouldn't I make this decision when I'm older? No. This is the time to make the decision. As a teenager, to say, God... I'm making a decision that if I ever get married, I will never leave those vows. And June 18, 2008, the best I knew how, I committed to that vow. I will never leave that vow and that commitment. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit WCBC dot edu